0: Well, today we are continuing in the sermon series that we kicked off last week that we're going to be in leading all the way up until Easter called Jesus Unfiltered. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to shed the images, the assumptions, the half-truths, maybe the false things about Jesus that we've picked up along the way throughout our lives and look again at who Jesus really is according to the Bible. And particularly when we're going uh, and looking again at who Jesus is, we're going to be in the gospel of Mark together, the earliest account of Jesus' life. And the reason we're doing this during this season is because Jesus is the center of our faith. He's the center of the Christian faith. Jesus is the center of our church and our hope throughout this sermon series is that Jesus will become the center or become more at the center of your life as well. And so if you were with us last week, you know this, but just bear with me for a moment. Um, We are going to be reading the Gospel of Mark together. And um, we actually have reading guides for you located in the back of the worship center and in the lobby. And so we have bookmarks with daily readings on there. Uh, Monday through Friday, give you the weekends to catch up or to to read something else. Um, So you have the bookmark if you want to read in your own Bible, or if you'd like to follow along with us, you can simply grab one of these copies of the Gospel of Mark, and it has the readings already marked out for you so that you can simply follow along and read with us every single day. Now, I was going to do a poll and see who's been reading this week, but I don't want to shame anybody. So uh, I want to encourage you to read and to catch up. If, if you're behind or, or you missed last week, it'll only take you about 20 minutes if you just sit down and do all of last week's reading straight through. We've made each day's reading uh, short so that you can reflect deeply about it, and so hopefully reading the Bible will become a daily habit for you in your life. Um, so we want you to pick up one of these copies of, of, of the Gospel of Mark on your way out. Last week we ran out of them, which is amazing, uh, but this week we have more copies of them, so please grab one of those. And now, when it comes to the life of Jesus, one of the amazing things about it is it has been written about, it has been discussed, and it is thought about perhaps more than anybody's life throughout human history. I mean, if you, if you pull out your phone right now and you go to Amazon and you look for books on Jesus, there is going to be over 100,000 books available that relate to Jesus Christ. If you, you go on there and then you search movies or TV shows, you're going to find about 8,000 movies and TV shows that connect with the life of Jesus. And if you go on Amazon, you can even find shirts and trinkets and all sorts of swag that has Jesus on it. Jesus has been a pretty popular person throughout history. I mean, if you open up the Koran, the Koran actually talks about Jesus. If you go to the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon talks about Jesus. Jesus is pretty widespread, and one of the things I found throughout my ministry is that by and large, people inside and outside of the church, they like Jesus. People tend to like Jesus even if they don't like the church. People tend to like Jesus because they see Jesus, they read about him, they hear about him, and they think, you know what? That was a pretty compassionate and loving guy. They think, you know what? Jesus has a lot of wise things to tell us in our culture. I mean, think about some of his most famous sayings, do unto others Okay, I was testing y'all there. You did okay. Right? You see that on schools. You see that on rulers. You see, it, you see it all over the place, right? You have his saying, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Uh, you have this one, love your neighbor as yourself. And so people hear some of these central teachings of Jesus, his life, and they think, wow, you know what? If we actually began to listen ...to what Jesus said and what Jesus taught, our world would probably actually end up being a better place. And so a lot of people recognize Jesus as a a great teacher, as someone who provides great information and great motivation. But while many people view Jesus as a great motivational speaker, people in our modern world tend to get a little more nervous about Jesus when we begin talking about his miracles... And his miraculous ministry. I and mean, I want you to think about this. I didn't do this this week. I should have. But if you went to the square in downtown McDonough this evening. Maybe you went by Scoop's Ice Cream. And you just started interviewing people. And you said, hey, do you think Jesus was a wise teacher? My guess is that 90% of people would say, yeah. Yeah, I think Jesus was a pretty, pretty wise guy. But then if you said, hey, do you think Jesus cast out unclean spirits, performed miracles, made the sick well, and raised dead people? I don't know that as many people would be as comfortable with that question. I think a lot more people would start getting a little hesitant because Jesus' miraculous ministry makes a lot of us modern people a little uncomfortable. But that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Jesus' miracles and what they meant for the people back then and what they mean for us here today, 2,000 years later. So as we dive into that, let's bow and go before God with a word of prayer. Lord, as we open up your word this morning and we talk about it together, would you take my words and speak through them? Take our hearts and speak to them? And take our lives and transform them? as we open them up and we surrender them to you. It's in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen. So, if you've been reading with us up until this point, Mark chapters 1, Mark chapter 2, you know that Jesus' ministry begins with a bang. Mark doesn't put in a lot of superfluous details. He just kind of gets going. And the area... In which Jesus' main ministry takes place early on is the Sea of Galilee. Here is a picture um, I took on my iPhone of the Sea of Galilee a few years back. Um, This was at sunrise. It is a beautiful and an amazing place. And when you read these stories in the Bible and you go there, I mean, the sea is the same as it was back then. And and the sea, when it's a clear day, you can see across it, and you can see all the different little villages that Jesus traveled to by boat. He He would have sailed across there and back all over with his disciples doing ministry in different areas as he kicked things off and he said, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. And as he was doing ministry in this area of the Sea of Galilee, one of the cities in which he did a lot of his ministry was a city called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was not a large city. It had about 1,500 people. Um, And the the ruins of Capernaum are still there today. This is actually the Jewish synagogue at the heart of Capernaum. As you can see, the columns are still there. Things are still there. And and this was the center, really, of Jesus' ministry in the area of Galilee. He did a lot of his ministry here. And so when you begin reading in Mark, one of the things you'll begin to notice is that as Jesus kicks off his ministry people with all sorts of different needs begin to come to him. They all are kind of attracted to him like a magnet. And so in Mark chapter 1, we read that when Jesus was in this synagogue, you can walk where he walked. When Jesus was in this synagogue, he met a man with an unclean spirit who was in need of healing. Soon after this, he went to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house where she was sick and she was in need of healing. He met a paralyzed man who was in need of healing. He, he began to eat with known sinners and tax collectors. And these were people in their society who were shunned, particularly by the religious elites, because they were deemed unclean and you weren't supposed to hang out with them. So these were people who were in need of friendships and relationships, and they were drawn to Jesus. He met a man who was in need of forgiveness forgiveness. Of sins, As you start going through the book of Mark, one of the things you'll find is that needy people were drawn to Jesus and they loved being around Jesus. And you'll also discover that Jesus loved meeting these people's needs. He loved being around them, caring for them, loving them, and meeting their needs. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to look at just one particular story where Jesus encountered a man in need and how that affected the man's life and how it began to ripple into the larger society. And so this morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is actually Tuesday's uh, Bible reading. And here's what Mark tells us. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them, that is the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, imagine this is going on in the midst of worship, like right now, just said somebody, stand up. Jesus says, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, that is the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they had heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So Mark tells us pretty clearly here that Jesus had the power to heal people. Jesus had the power to meet the deepest needs and the brokenness in people's lives. And when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about 25% of them are dedicated to Jesus' miraculous ministry. And so here we, we see Jesus simply by his words stretch out your hand in this Synagogue in Capernaum, the man's hand is healed. Later, we find that that people are are crowding upon Jesus. A lot of times, they're just pushing upon him like a a mob because, at times, when people just touched his cloak like that, they were healed. And so, his word began to spread, the crowds began to build. Jesus healed. A paralyzed man, he forgave someone's sins in need of forgiveness simply by saying, your sins are forgiven. Jesus began doing all of these miracles and the crowds began to build. And as we keep reading in Mark's gospel, we're going to keep finding Jesus doing all sorts of different miracles in people's lives and in nature and beyond. And so it, it begs the question, you know, why is this such an important part of Jesus's ministry? I mean, particularly when it seems to be a stumbling block for a lot of people actually believing these miracles took place. I mean, why is this such an important part of his ministry? And I think there's two reasons. And the first is that they were an important part of Jesus' ministry because Jesus, he had compassion for people. Jesus loved people. He hated seeing people in deep need. And so one of the reasons why he did miracles, quite simply, is as an expression of love for people and as an expression of his compassion for people. But the second reason he performs so many miracles is kind of a bigger reason. I mean, if you think back to what Jesus said at the beginning of Mark as he went and began his ministry, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so Jesus' miracles in the kingdom of God are connected because when Jesus was performing his miracles, he was introducing, he was announcing and inaugurating the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of this world. And so what is the kingdom of God like? Well, the kingdom of God is when God's people are living in a loving relationship with him under his reign, under his rule. We're having loving relationships with one another. In God's kingdom, there is no suffering. There is no maladies. There is no brokenness. Everybody is whole. And so in God's kingdom, which we read that Jesus is going to bring about when he comes again in all of its fullness, everything is going to be made well. People are going to be whole. There's going to be no injustice. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no marginalized people. And so when Jesus is performing these miracles, he's giving us, he's giving the world, a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is going to look like when it finally comes in all of its fullness. So, one way to think about this is to think about last Sunday. Y'all remember last Sunday? So, it was the Super Bowl. Did your team win? No? Okay. Mine didn't either. It was a Super Bowl. It was Groundhog Day. We had conflicting groundhogs. The one in Jackson said, no more winter, or more winter. The other one said something else. I don't know. But last week, do you remember what the temperature was like? It was like 70 degrees. It was an awesome, beautiful day. It almost felt like spring. So then, think about yesterday. Anybody see snow yesterday? Was anybody... Oh my, What? Oh my gosh, wow, I'm jealous. Okay, I really wanted snow here. I was sad that on the south side we don't get as much snow, but that's okay. So I was sad because, you know what, we're in winter right now, and hopefully we'll get more snow soon. But so what happened last week, last Sunday, in the midst of winter, we received a foretaste of what spring is going to be like. Now, spring's not here yet, but on that beautiful day when it was clear and people are cooking out for the Super Bowl, we got a glimpse of how amazing it's gonna be, even though we're still in winter. And that's what Jesus's miracles are like. They're a glimpse, they're a foretaste of the kingdom of God, of what things are gonna be like when that glorious day comes and God's kingdom is fully established. And so we see people being healed, people being made whole, people being forgiven of their sins, people's brokenness being met, People being restored to God and to one another in relationships. We see the kingdom of God present in our world, breaking into our midst. And now, I don't know about you, but, but when I think about that, I think, man, everybody must have been so happy for this to be going on. I mean, seeing sick people made well, seeing people who couldn't walk stand up and walk, I mean, surely everybody would have been on board with that. But as we already see in Mark chapter 3, very early on in his ministry, not everybody was happy. Not everybody was excited about what was going on. Not everybody was crowding at Jesus' feet. Because there were really two groups of people in these scenes that, that we see. There was a group of people who were needy, and the needy people loved Jesus. But then there was another group of people who quite simply felt like they had no need for Jesus. And this group of people we're going to find and we're going to encounter them over and over again. Largely the scribes and the Pharisees and the Romans and others at the time. But largely the group of people who felt they had no need for Jesus were the religious elite of that day. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were tasked with interpreting the law, keeping the law and the traditions and running things in the synagogue. And so when Jesus came on the scene, they didn't like what he was doing because he was interpreting the law in different ways. Jesus was acting uh, not with the authority of tradition, but he was acting like he had authority from God as he began to forgive sins, as he began to healing other people. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts doing miracles, these people, they they start getting incensed because Jesus says to the man, he says, look, your sins are forgiven. And they say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. So they put a little X by his name. And then they find Jesus in the house of known sinners, tax collectors, people who are notorious for doing bad things. And and they say, wait a second, you you can't be hanging out with them. If you're supposed to be some holy religious person, you can't be with these sinners because then there's going to be contamination. There, there's going to be impurities there. So they put another X by his name. And then in the scene we see today, as Jesus heals on the Sabbath day, he heals this, this man's hand and it becomes restored. They're incensed once again. Because in their interpretation of the law, you could only heal on the Sabbath if someone was at risk of death. So that's why Jesus asked them this cryptic question. He says, which is lawful, to do good or to, to do evil, to save life or to kill? And, and you'll notice Jesus asking a lot of questions throughout the Gospels because Jesus loved asking questions more than he loved answering questions. And, and so here they're trying to trap him and he's not willing to be trapped because he's already told them, look, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't made for all these regulations. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is a day of rest, a day of wholeness. And so he heals the man, and they're not having it. They're not having it. so even this early on in Jesus' ministry, they begin to see him as a threat, a threat to their understanding of religion, to their way of life, to everything that they've been trying to uphold, and they say, you know what, let's, let's get rid of this guy. And they begin to partner with the Roman governor, government to help them. Because they knew that the Roman government didn't like powerful people. They didn't like people who could draw crowds because that's a, that's a threat to their authority. So they begin conspiring and saying, let's take this guy out. And as they did all of this, they missed out. This group of people who felt like they didn't need Jesus, they missed out on receiving healing in their lives and having God meet them in their deepest places of needs because they rejected Jesus and said, We have no need for you. While all of this is taking place, you know, 2,000 years ago, when we jump to today, I think largely there are two different groups of people who relate to Jesus in kind of these same two different ways that we see in Mark's gospel. And there's one group of people who are kind of like the scribes, Pharisees, the Romans, and a lot of other people in Israel in that time. And they think, you know what? Jesus is interesting. Jesus is intriguing. But ultimately, Jesus is viewed as a threat. Because so many people in our world, that we built little kingdoms, And we like our kingdom. We like control. We like knowing how things are going to be. And a lot of times, we quite frankly don't feel like we have a lot of needs or, you know what, we're responsible for meeting our own needs. And so there's a lot of people in our world who think, you know what, things are going okay, I got my kingdom, I'm going to do life myself. And they say, you know what, I have no need for Jesus. But then there's a second group of people. And this is a group of people who, who recognize that that they're in need, that they're in need of healing because there's brokenness in their lives. There's physical brokenness, emotional brokenness, relational brokenness, spiritual brokenness. And this group of people recognizes that there are things in our lives that we can't fix ourselves. And so this group of people is actually drawn to Jesus because they recognize Jesus not as a threat, but they recognize Jesus as a A source of hope. A source of potentially God's power and God's presence. And the second group of people, this this group of people who recognize their need, these people don't all have it figured out. They don't all believe the exact right things about Jesus. But they approach Jesus with an openness and a willingness that he might heal them. I don't know which group you kind of find yourself in this morning. Either group, we're glad you're here. And we want you to keep journeying with us. But I tend to find myself in the second group of people. Because when I look at my life and I really examine myself, I know there's a lot of places of deep need. I know there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of things about my life I can't fix on my own. And as a pastor, and as I minister to our church and look around at our community, I know that there's a lot of great need and brokenness around us as well. I mean, there are people in need of physical healing. And there are people in our church who have great kidney problems who are in need of healing. We all know people affected by cancer who are in need of healing. So many people have, have chronic pain Things have been tried. There's no quick fixes. They're in need of healing. There are a lot of people in need of physical healing. There's also a lot of people in need of emotional healing. I mean, if you look at our, our society especially among young people, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, sense of hopelessness and purposelessness, it pervades our culture now. There is a lot of brokenness emotionally and people are in need of healing. There's a lot of relational healing that needs to happen. People have been hurt by family members. People have been wounded by people they thought were their friends. There are are relationships that we know we can't fix on our own. And, And at bottom, all of us, I believe, are in need of spiritual healing. We all need God's power, presence, and love in our lives. We all need to be reconciled to him and receive the forgiveness of our sins. So I don't know which group you find yourself in this morning if you feel like you have no need for Jesus or maybe you recognize and some of those things resonate with you. You know that you're in need of healing. Well, I just want to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning is that if you find yourself in need, if you find yourself feeling broken, the good news about Jesus Christ is that His healing ministry didn't end when He ascended into heaven. Jesus continues to heal today. Jesus continues to heal today. And all healing in our world, I believe, comes through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe God heals in many different ways today. But but I think if we were to put it in categories, you could say there's two large categories through which God's healing is available to us. Those who come to him and simply offer our need and our brokenness. And one big category Of healing would be the explicable ways in which God heals, or the the kind of, we might say, explainable ways, the ways that kind of seem normal to us. I mean, one way in which God heals is through modern medicine and through hospitals. I mean, and one thing I love about the church is that the church, throughout church history, has been at the forefront of establishing hospitals for people in need around the world, and the church continues to do that work today because we recognize that God uses people like doctors and nurses and medicine to heal us of many of our ailments. God also uses people like counselors to help us with emotional healing. God doesn't expect us to just figure it all out on our own. God uses people like counselors to help help us figure out and deal with those wounds from the past and experience wholeness in our relationships with other people right now. God uses the church for spiritual healing as we gather together and the gospel is proclaimed and we fellowship and we love one another. It's here that, that people often experience the forgiveness of their sins as they encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, these are kind of the, the ways we might say are normal, explainable. These ways of God's healing make sense to us. But then there's the second category of healing. We might call it the inexplicable. And this is the more miraculous side of God's healing that a lot of times... We simply can't explain. So about six years ago, I had an issue with my kidneys. I I had a kidney stone. And for about a year, the kidney stone was acting up. If you've ever had one, it was like kind of on, off. It would move around, and I was kind of okay. And they're like, just pass it, and it never, never passed. So after about a year, I finally had surgery. They removed the kidney stone. It, it was a big one. And they said, yeah, you might have more of these in, in the years ahead. And So moved past the surgery. A few years later, I began experiencing some similar pains in my kidney. And it was kind of on again, off again. Emily's like, you should go to the doctor. I was like, no, I'm fine today. You know how that is. So... It was kind of on again, off again, and then I, I went to a, a ministry conference in in Nashville, Tennessee. And there, there was a man uh, a man preaching that night named Sandy Miller from a church in Great Britain, and he was he was teaching and preaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and on the ministry of healing. And it was very interesting. And he he was saying, "Look, you know, Jesus says." In Luke, he gives authority to his disciples to continue his ministry to heal the sick. And he said, you know, in John's gospel, Jesus says, when I ascend into heaven, you will do even greater things than I will. And so there was a time after his talk of of praying for people And one of the things they did, it was a room kind of like this, but there was was thousands of people in the room. At one point, they said, hey, we want to invite all the young leaders in the room to come forward. And so there's a few hundred of us down front, and people were praying for us. And when we were down front, he stopped, and, and there was no fireworks here. There was no fog machines. He said, there's somebody here who's having kidney issues who's in need of healing. And I kept my head down. I'm like, not me not me, my kidney's good today and the room was thousands of people, he just stood there and I was like "Uh." so after what seemed like an eternity it was probably like a minute I finally said well actually like I'm a young person down front here like who has kidney issues like maybe you're talking about me and so some people came over and it was very non-weird they said hey can we can we pray for you can we pray for healing and i was like "Eh, sure why not so they put a hand on me They, they prayed for healing in my kidney and then afterwards they were like how does it feel i said it feels fine it feels fine today i don't know um so i went home didn't think much about the experience until a year later, I was at the same conference, I go there every year, and they said, hey, if anybody has a testimony about what God's done in your life or your ministry this year, we'd love for you to, to share it with us. And then I remembered them praying over me the year before, and I remembered that since that time, I, I hadn't had any kidney pain anymore. It wasn't on again and off again, it was simply off since that time of prayer. So I shared the the testimony with people. They actually put it on Facebook and people shared it and liked it and commented. It was an encouragement for lots of people. And, And since that moment happened for me, I've often reflected, why did I receive healing in that moment? But so many other people I've prayed for in the hospital, why haven't they received healing? I mean, after all, like, it wasn't because I was like some holy person standing there at the conference. It wasn't because the, the person who prayed for me said some elaborate words or, or something crazy was going on. It wasn't because we were more special than anybody else. I, I don't know why it was. All I know is that in that moment, I received God's loving kindness into my life and, and maybe the experience happened just so simply so I could share the testimony with you this morning as we talk about healing I don't know and I, I used to get really caught up on this big question and it's a good question why some people are healed when we pray and why others aren't and the simple answer is I, I don't know all I know is God is God I'm not I also know that when the fullness of God's kingdom comes upon his return, all of us will receive healing in full. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more brokenness. All will be made well. And until that day comes, I I resonate with a quote from a pastor named John Wimber. He says this, he says, you know, in our church, we used to pray. We used to not pray for anybody to receive healing, and no one was healed. Now we pray for lots of people to be healed, and some are healed. And so I, I pray for healing in my ministry. I pray for people in the hospital. I pray for people when they bring me their needs. I pray that God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, would meet those needs. Our church prays for healing. For this morning, I, I don't know what you believe, I don't know if you think all of this stuff is crazy, but I simply want to invite you to bring your needs before God, to bring your brokenness before God, and to simply say, Here it is. Jesus, would you meet me in my place of need? And you can do that simply through the gift of prayer. You can pray in the privacy of your own seat and just, just say, Jesus, here's my life, here's my need, would you, would you come and would you meet my need? You can do it in the privacy of your own home later today as you process and begin to think about all this stuff. You can do it up here during our, our closing song if you'd like to. You can pray privately and offer your needs to Jesus at his feet. But I also want to encourage you to to pray publicly and pray with some of our prayer partners in just a moment in our closing song we're going to have groups of people to pray for you in each corner of the room and it would be our honor it would be our privilege to pray for your places of need and ask Jesus to come and to meet you in those places whether it's, it's physical healing you need emotional healing relational healing spiritual healing. Maybe you you just say, I don't even know what I need. I just know I'm needy and I'm broken. We would love to pray for you because Jesus has the power to heal. He heals in many different ways and that power is here with us this morning. So let's go before God and ask him to meet us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in this place. We don't understand always how you work. Why some things happen instantaneously and other other healing takes time. But God, we just come before you knowing that, that we're we're broken, we're in need. There are things in our lives that we simply cannot fix ourselves. So God, this morning we we are simply like the crowds who pressed in upon Jesus and we want to press in upon your son this morning and just say, would would you touch us? Would you meet us? Would you heal us? Would you give us your love? Would you give us your power? But above all, would you simply just give us your presence today? So God, we ask you would fill this room as we pray and as we sing. If you'd like to...